This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Westwards podcast for today, Monday the 7th of September 2020. Uh, I'm James Roy, I'm the producer from Westwards and with me today once again is Harja, who is the associate producer. How are you Harja, you well? Yeah, well, we're out in the sun today, we it's are. really nice. Oh, the birdies and the breeze in the trees. Yeah, it's and very the, nice weather. It is very nice. So uh, this is probably our last podcast with you, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. We're just sort of getting We're the swing of this and really starting to enjoy them and then you're going to go and leave us. Well, I mean, you could be nice and invite me again. And I probably will. You know, <laughs> if, we're, if we're really desperate, we'll give you a call. No, <laughs> no, no, it better be fun. It's, it's always more fun doing these with someone else. We're going to have, I think, what you told me earlier as a, a bit of a snippet from a conversation you had with a friend of yours. Scott Gardner, yeah. Yeah, who's also a writer. He is. He's, a young, he's actually done one of our mini masterclass podcasts mm-hmm. and we did another one of those uh, talking about uh, boys and reading, actually, which, oh, is, which was something that was pretty big in the, amongst the children's and young adult industry probably. Well, when I first started out 20, 25 years ago, it was a really big topic and it remains mm-hmm. a big topic. And actually, we saw an interesting stat yesterday. They, we saw the, um, the CBC, Children's Book Council, winners and honour books from the young adult category for the last, I think it was six or seven years. Mm-hmm. There's only been one male writer mm, interesting. In all that time. So anyway, we'll have a little chat about that. Uh, we've also got some exciting news about our fellowships and our Pinarolo residency and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's get on with it. So Harja, mm-hmm. the quote, as... Uh, as yes. Frequent listeners will know uh, we have a bit of a thing we do here, where we choose a quote by somebody who was ideally born on this day in history, but sometimes they died on this day. And today we're doing the birth thing mm-hmm. again. Uh, a lady who I think what would she be today? She'd be sixty-four today, uh, and that her name is Diane Warren. Does that mean anything to you? Sounds familiar. Does it? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> it was. It wouldn't have been familiar to me, except that I was. It was. I was told about her by a good friend who is a musician, mm-hmm. and he mentioned Diane Warren, and I went, "Who?" And he said, "Oh, she's only the most successful, proli- most prolific songwriter of all time." Mm. She even has a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to list of songs written by Diane Warren. Yeah. And there are literally hundreds of these. Wow. Now, some of the big ones that she wrote that you might have or that you will have heard are, uh, she wrote, the first big hit was Solitaire by Laura Brannigan. Maybe that one doesn't ring a bell for you, but it certainly does for me. 
because I was in the middle of high school then. But mm-hmm. um, she also wrote uh, so- hit songs for Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, Belinda Carlisle, Britney Spears, Marsha Hines, Christina Aguilera, Beyonce, wow. TLC, Alia, uh, Agnetha from ABBA, mm. Elton John, Cher, Tina Turner, Brian Adams. The list goes on and on and on. Wow. Roy Orbison, Aretha Franklin, Barbara Streisand, Whoa. Air Supply, Gloria Estefan, Michael Bolton. Uh, we'll leave him off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rod Stewart. Like I'm only. This is only a, a smattering. Of, there's a big, big list yeah, here. Yeah, wow. The Cult, Kiss, Ricky Martin, Faith Hill, Michael W. Smith, who was he was pretty big in my time mm. as a Christian artist. Mm-hmm. Um, Meatloaf, Mariah Carey. Um, Leanne Rhymes, Hilary Duff, Hayley Duff, the Duff sisters, that's big. Lindsay mm-hmm. Lohan, <laughs> Lady Gaga, <laughs> Westlife, Joe Cocker. Um, wow. That's a yeah, lot huge, of massive. And if you if, if anyone is interested and they want to go to um, just type into Wikipedia a list of songs, Diane Warren, and they're all there. She's won she's won Grammys, she was mm-hmm. inducted into the Hall of Fame, she wrote that song Because You Love Me by Celine Dion. Um, yeah, massive. But yeah. The, one of the biggest ones she wrote was, remember that um, rather odd video clip of Cher straddling a giant cannon? No. Whilst lots of enamoured sailors in white hats prance. <laughs> <laughs> You're making a horrified face. And I, I, I completely understand the horror. It was, it was pretty horrible. Um, but that was a song called um, If I Could Turn Back Time. Oh, I know the name. You know, you know the song? Well, you know the name of the song. I know the name. How does it go? Well, I'm not going to sing it for you now. Well, just give me something. I'd have to sing it like Cher, wouldn't I? If I could turn back time. Something like that. A little bit more than that. <laughs> no, 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 more than that. Anyway, so mass, massive, massive um, number of uh, hits. And, and sometimes I, with my music friends, I'll ask this question, you know, for a conversation starter. We'll say, if you could choose choose to receive the royalties of any artist for the rest of all time. You know, who would it be in the Beatles or... Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, good choice. That He always comes up. Um, but I think I'd go Diane Warren. Sounds like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely. So she won, she won Academy Award. Actually, she's never won an Academy, an Academy Award. She has been nominated 11 times for, for Best Song at the, Grammy, at mm. the Oscars. Mm. Anyway. Right. So what's her quote? Oh, right. Yeah, let's get to that. <laughs> well, there's a whole bunch of them because, like, you know, you would expect that somebody writes that many songs would have plenty to say. Yeah. Now, the, the thing is, you know, people often say that when you're a, a songwriter, you need to explore your broken heart. You need to... Yes, yeah. You know, as long as you've had heartbreak in your life, you can be a songwriter. And Diane Warren is somewhat famous for... Not really ever being in re- been in a relationship, not wanting to get married. She does. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She, she speaks quite openly about you know the that the lack in her life of that kind of romantic mm-hmm. love. And she said things like, "Maybe my songs are my partner. Mm. How about that? The biggest relationship I have is with my songs." Uh, and she's also said things like, "I would never want to get married." She has, she has said in the past, uh, I have a good imagination. Look, I know what it feels like to have a broken heart. I know what it feels like to feel something for somebody. I'm just too weird to be in a relationship. <laughs> she said, I'm not like normal people. I'm no good at relationships. I draw drama to me. 
But she's also said that she has felt heartbreak because she's had people say horrible things about her songs. Maybe it's not quite the right, the same thing. But anyway. <laughs> but the thing I really wanted to ask your views on mm -hmm. is this. You have to hone your craft, but you also have to be born with a certain amount of talent. And I never took the talent for granted. I've always worked really hard to be as good as I could be. Discuss. What was the first part? You have to hone your craft, but you also have to be born with a certain amount of talent. And I never took the talent for granted. I've always worked really hard to be as good as I could be. Well, I feel like the last bit kind of counters what she's saying. You think? Yeah, I've always worked really hard to be as good as I can be. But then she's saying... But you've you got to have, have some have talent. talent. Well, I take that to mean that she's basically acknowledging that, that anybody... She, perhaps she's, she's suggesting that anybody who thinks that their talent is all they require is going to struggle. Yeah. And anyone who thinks that just putting in the hard work is going to struggle. Yeah. You've got to have both. I think so. It's hard to say without being self-indulgent. <laughs> well, be self-indulgent then. Well, I don't know if I have talent. I don't know if I can say that about myself. Why not? Because I, I feel... It's like calling yourself pretty. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you can objective... If you are a, a beautiful person, I think you can objectively know that you are an attractive person. But that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, but all these things are, are kind of similar. They're like supposedly natural characteristics. Yeah, I mean, I, I have heard... I can't remember who it was, but there was another artist who said, don't call me a genius. Mm. That and... This was somebody who had been called a genius. She wasn't just giving herself that. Yes, yeah. Don't call me a genius because when you call me a genius, that it doesn't Give account account for the amount of work I've done. Exactly, yeah. And when I was going to be doing this podcast a week ago, because this one is yeah. a little bit late, yeah. the quote of the day for that day would have been Malcolm Gladwell. Do you know Malcolm Gladwell? No. Well, he's the guy. Have you heard of the 10,000 10, hours theory? This, this came no. from when the, when the Beatles were... Malcolm Gladwell put this theory forward. Um... And I hope I'm not misrepresenting the theory, but it came from the idea that the Beatles, when they went to Germany, they were putting in many, many hours a day working in a club for very little money. And then when they came back to the UK, everyone went, you guys are amazing. They said, well, we'd want to be. We've been putting in, you know, 15 yeah. hours a day in a club for the last year or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm Gladwell put forward the view that if you, you do anything for 10,000 hours or more, you will be incredibly proficient at it which sounds like a pretty obvious kind of yeah thing to say, I don't know. but, but it, he but is he put specifically 10,000 well that, that was a, that was the um, that was the marker he put on it um, he basically said mm. 10,000 10, is the is the thing and I look back at my career and I wonder whether I've hit the 10,000 mark yet is it a million words is that would that be a better marker perhaps for a writer maybe it does maybe it's not the hours maybe it's a number of words not really, because you can write a thick textbook <laughs> and it could be rubbish. <laughs> yeah, but then you'd be really good at... If you write, if you yeah. spent 10,000 words writing a textbook... 10,000 words isn't a lot. Sorry, 10,000 hours. <laughs> oh. 10, 000, but 10,000 hours is a lot. The theory, that, the theory is that people like Mozart and all these people who have been really, really great at things that... Yes, there is a natural talent involved, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Mozart wrote his first symphony at the age of six. Mm -hmm. So he can't have possibly put in 10,000 hours by then. Definitely not. But by the time you get to his later work, you think, well, maybe he had by then. The point we're making is that um, 
I think you need both. You need yes, yeah. you need some kind of natural ability, and and I know there are some people out there who are very successful who perhaps aren't the most talented writers in the world, but they must have had some kind of ability at something. They must have had some kind of ability of putting words together or or being able to self-critique or, or whatever. The other thing that Diane Warren said was, a lot of people give up, but you can't stop me. If you close the door, I'll just jump out the window. So, but wouldn't you just die? Oh, Hadra, you don't have to be so, <laughs> so literal. Well, she's supposed to be a writer. <laughs> She's obviously a good writer if she's written that many well, is she, songs. Is she, is she a good writer? I mean, she, she actually says she's a prolific writer. She's a prolific. I think good is a very subjective thing, but... Prolific's a little harder prolific to... Prolific is a different... Yeah, yeah. She said, I grew up listening to hits, and if I write something I feel, I think that's pretty mass appeal. I'm not very elitist with music. Love is universal. A great melody is universal. It goes around the world. It's not just American. A great song can touch the world. And I guess that sort of, to round that off, we could come back to... Oh, hang on, before we do that, this is the song we mentioned earlier on, If I Could Turn Back Time, she said, Cher hated If I Could Turn Back Time. Oh. I had to beg her literally on my knees just to try it. <laughs> it happens all the time. Oh. So what do you make of that? Commitment to her, to her songs. Yeah, I guess that's true. And also perhaps the idea that, you know, if you're, if you're an artist and somebody comes to you with a great idea and insists that it's a great idea and they've got the runs on the board, sometimes you have to trust them, I trust. guess. Yeah. Trust is a big part of collaborative work in general. Well, I think as a writer of, like, traditional kind of books, you have to trust your editor and the editor has to trust you. Yeah, it is a collaborative thing. Anyway, so, look... If you're interested in Diane Warren, go and look her up. But um, in- interesting lady and has plenty to say about mm. the idea of being prolific. And um, I think like any creative person, even if they're working in a different field to what we're working in, we can always find something valuable in what they have to say. Mm-hmm, definitely. So this is the point of the uh, podcast where I'm going to play a very short clip from my uh, mini masterclass podcast with Scott Gardner. We started working around about the same time in the mid-90s. Um, we were both much younger men. Um, <laughs> he, I was writing for boys. I wasn't even a fetus. Sorry? I wasn't even a fetus. You weren't even a fetus, yeah. <laughs> and I was barely a fetus. I was that young when I started writing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we, we sort of came into the industry around about the time of the uh, the big boys and books thing where James Maloney was writing books like Boys and Reading and that, and that mm. sort of thing. And it was a topic that every CBC conference, every Children's Book Council conference, you could be guaranteed that there would be at least one panel about how to get boys to read. Mm. So here's what Scott had to say about that. You, you, you mentioned in your text to me about what we could talk about, realism and hyper-masculinity. And you, are we allowed to name the, the author that you were thinking of? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm okay. sure. We're talking about Matthew Riley, right? As, just yeah. as, as an example, not the only example, but an example. Yeah. Uh, so to me, I understand why young men particularly are attracted to Matthew Riley's work. Uh, but from my perspective, and even when I project my 15-year-old perspective into his work, I find that there's nothing of substance. It's just mice in a maze. Mm. I don't feel like there's enough emotional depth to the characters for me to engage with the 
story. And, and I understand that that particular genre that he writes for, that's not a highly prized commodity, the idea of there being emotional depth to a character. And I wonder if that reflects about, um, I mean, they are just fun rides, those books. Mm. And maybe... Yeah, they don't pretend to be anything more, though, do they? No, no, that's exactly right. And maybe I'm trying to read into it. I, maybe I want to be as popular as Matthew Riley, but I want to write stuff that has substance for me. And, and this, Yeah, well, this, I mean, this is a, a conundrum that we've all faced, those of us who consider ourselves to, you know, want to be more literary writers than, than genre writers. We want both those things. We want the huge, we want the massive sales, but we also want to be able to write authentically and from the heart. Yes. Um, I don't know, can, is somebody the other day suggested to me that that only happens once in a generation and if you aren't that one person, then give up because it ain't going to happen to you. There's only room <laughs> in the market for one person. I guess, well, who would we be talking about in our world? Maybe Marcus Zusak or someone like that who, who gets the commercial success along with the, you know, the kudos. Only ever writing. been himself, yeah. yeah. Sorry, say that again. He has only ever been himself in writing. Correct. Yeah. I don't feel like he has written for a genre or anything other than the things that please him. And uh, that's, yeah, I agree, a powerful and very rare position to be in. Well, I think um, it's important that if, if you are one of those people who does write genre, I mean, I know we kind of laugh about certain things, but at the end of the day, people like Bryce Courtney, he was unapologetic about this. He, I think it was Bryce Courtney who said, I don't write books, I write Christmas gifts. Yeah. <laughs> marketing genius yeah so that was scott gardner talking about boys and reading and you can find his uh full mini masterclass conversation there's more a conversation than a masterclass i mm -hmm. guess in this case uh on our mini masterclass podcast channel where you get all your good podcasts like this one yeah like the one we're on right now yeah it's right next door at westwards we're always looking to reach as many people as we can mm -hmm. for all sorts of reasons so that we can provide what we do to as many people as we can yep. and so we can source the best people for what we offer and help the people who need the help the most and the people yeah. who make the most use of that help. We recently wrapped up our three fellowships for 2020 yeah. and they're all, all done and dusted and they did a great job and really appreciated what they got to do through the mm -hmm. fellowship and so we had our applications I think they close today yesterday they closed midnight, midnight on the 7th of september okay so tonight yeah well by the time you hear this it'll yep. be too late probably how many applications do it look like we're going to have it's probably going to be in the third i think i think last time we checked it was about 35 wasn't it yeah just about which that's, is crazy that is i think that's the most we've ever had yeah, that's great. So um, have you had a chance to have a look at any of the applications yet? There's a lot of names I recognise, right. which is just not people that I've met, but people I know in the scene. In yeah, the... but you know everyone. You're... Oh, I don't know everyone. I don't know half the people you talk about. <laughs> yeah, but I'm old. <laughs> You're young and relevant. I'm the, I'm the opposite of both those things. No. Um, yeah, well, that's exciting. And I, when we had a bit of a glance uh, the other day, it looked like there was going to be quite a broad range of mm. genres that people were working in. What are some of those genres? Well, I think we always get general fiction, you know, prose stuff. So exp exp I kind of had a look at what genres we've got this year. 
there seems to be a lot of those. And there's also a lot more children's fiction. There's uh, One of the three spots is actually reserved, reserved for children's or YA, isn't it? Yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, what else do we have? We have uh, our first graphic novelist. Oh. So hopefully we'll see what happens with that one because mm-hmm. I really love graphic novels. Mm-hmm. They're very um, big. Well, I was out at, out at the Ponds High School the other day doing a gig and, or, mm-hmm. or doing a program up there. And, um, Miriam Kelly from the, the library, she was proudly showing me her graphic novel collection and she said that they're incredibly oh. popular. She, can yeah. barely keep them on the shelf for kids. Really. Yeah, and funnily well, enough, my grandson, who is four and a half, uh-huh. the other day when we were, we, were, we were sorting out some stuff, I found a couple of graphic novels like um, Dogman, I think, mm. by Dav Pilkey and, and some of these. And he's only four and a half, but my daughter's very good at doing all the voices. So she sits there oh. and she actually reads graphic oh, novels so to good. him. And um, it's not a skill Does that I have. Does he engage with the images? Loves it. Yeah, great. He's going mad for it. He just wants the next. He wants the next graphic novel. So, oh, so I wonder if we might so pull nice. out um, Pie in the Sky. Maybe we'll Pie pull that one out sky. next. It's about um, <laughs> about a Hong Kong family who come yeah. to Australia and everything looks alien to them. A little bit like a, a bit of an homage to The Arrival by Sean Tan, but yeah, yeah. but in graphic novel form. Mm. Well, I think Sean Tan's a lot of his picture books are kind of graphic novels in themselves. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, and I've asked, what makes a graphic novel? Well, no, mate, what makes someone a reader? Because if you yes. if you read The Arrival by Sean Tan, mm. you not you don't say, you know, do you, no words do you want to sit down and look at the pictures book, in this book yeah. by Sean Tan? You say, no, have you read The Arrival? And so you're mm. reading in a very different way, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, so that's interesting. So a graphic novel, I guess there's probably some... Um, yeah, I think that's our first up, uh, first time getting. Mm-hmm. I have to look at the previous ones. We've also got a few, quite a few writers uh, writing for performance, which is we haven't got many of those in the past. Well, nobody's performing are they, at the moment, really. Well, there's so many newer ways to do that. A lot mm-hmm. of people. I watched a play completely done on Zoom the other day. Wow. Yeah, okay. I really enjoyed it. It's it's very intimate, so you still get that intimacy of a play, but it's. You can pause it, and I watched half one day and <laughs> the rest the other. It's a really surreal time, you know, when the yeah. American Democratic and Republican conventions are being held on Zoom. I know, yeah. It doesn't quite have the same vibe when the yeah. balloons fall and there's two people in the room going, yay, there's three <laughs> balloons. It's a bit different from a thousand balloons falling from the ceiling, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And the thing is about those Zoom calls, I think, is that it really equalises people because... They're not up on a stage, for instance, mm. and cut, like you're waiting, anticipating them to come up onto the stage, and or like you know if you're watching a panel or if you are watching Trump come out and do his speeches. It's just it's really strange. It's everyone's always in a room in front of a computer. Yeah, and even even I was watching the other day one of the uh, one of the news services in America, and somebody who's very high up in the in the public policy department at some university and he was sitting in front of his Ikea cupboard with a with a pile of old magazines on the top, you know. <laughs> yeah, those are the things that I'm always really interested in when I do an official meeting is just, are they wearing pants? <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly not. I wouldn't be if I had a choice. And just seeing what people's bedrooms look like. Yeah. Well, sometimes you don't need to see that bedroom. Sometimes they could probably sit in a in front of a better wall, couldn't they? 
Yeah, that's also, it tells you a lot about them. <laughs> it does. <laughs> that you wouldn't discover otherwise. It's interesting, though, when you talk about the, the you know, doing the Brady Bunch thing where there's nine, yeah. ten, fifteen Faces. little squares on the screen. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about this, but what you say is right. You know, the idea that, and I guess we've seen this a little bit with the Kitten Club when it used to be in a room and you, even though you're sitting right next to somebody who you might really admire and have thought, you know, love their work and you're feeling a little bit... Uh, overall, starstruck, by, starstruck yeah. yeah. But you can still, they're there and it's nice to be in the room and chat with them, but you're still a bit starstruck. But yeah. something but about the Zoom thing is their face is the same size as everyone else's. And yes, that's what I mean, yeah. yeah. It really equalises everything. It's kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you sit down. Is Kate Blanchett and those guys, have they done any plays on Zoom yet? Oh, I don't know. No. <laughs> Probably not. But I did, uh, there was some... Yeah, early on in lockdown, uh, there was uh, Meryl Streep and a few others did some kind of readings and talks. I know I heard a few podcasts where they were talking about that and that she was Meryl Streep, you know, this person who... I've done lots of acting classes where they say Meryl... There's this massive quote that everyone says, like, Meryl Streep can do anything, like, act anything. Mm. And... She's, you know, she's highly regarded in the acting community, but then she's just in front of this bookshelf that isn't fully full. It doesn't have that many books on it. Some of the, like, shelves is <laughs> shelves are not even... Uh, are completely empty, and it just feels... Like, you immediately start to see people for what they are despite their status, and they're just people. And that's really nice, I yeah, think. Pinarolo Fellowships, have they closed mm-hmm. yet? Yeah, they closed on the 31st of August. Right. We had about 10 or more That's applications, good. which is which is nice. So we're, we're, we're sourcing our third assessor and then yep. we're going to be getting into that and working out who gets the week in, in beautiful Blackheath in, well, it's spring in Blackheath, which is a lovely time to be in mm. Blackheath. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of spring in Blackheath, <laughs> uh, we have selected, we can't announce their names yet, because there's still a little bit of toing and froing about a couple of names because of COVID and interstate yep. stuff. But we've selected our uh, four residents for the Varuna Fellowship, mm-hmm. the Westwards Varuna Fellowship, where they're going to be up in Varuna on the week of October 19. Mm-hmm. And um, having mentorships and sitting out in the sun at Varuna, drinking good coffee and eating good food and mm-hmm. writing and working. And we've got... At this stage, it's a little bit up in the air about a couple of them, but basically there's some YA and children's stuff in there, and some writing for mm, performance nice. and some memoir and some fiction. So um, it's going to be an interesting... I'm excited. I didn't even know who they are yet. Now I've just got to find the right mentor for them. Yeah, that's always kind of the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. So um, are there any more big things coming up that people are applying for? Because for the, us, <laughs> because the two the two we Western had so Sydney, many things. <laughs> the two Western Sydney uh, University Westwards Writers in Residence, Residence yeah. um, Kavita and Bedford and Rawa Arja. Yeah, uh, Rawa's about to kick off with all her um, with all her activities for us and WSU, but Kavita's already been involved in our big Northlead project, mm-hmm. and she's doing a cracking good job over there, working with the Year Nine. So mm-hmm. um, that's been good to watch. Yeah, we'll update. All of that. Yeah, That's totally. really exciting. We haven't done that one before. So, Harja, this is probably the last time we'll do this with you wearing a Westward shirt. Not that we have shirts, but no, you know. But a hat, invisible yeah. hat. Invisible <laughs> hat. 
So if you could turn back time to quote Cher and Diane Warren, <laughs> would you do anything differently? Uh, no, I don't think I would. Don't think you I would. think I like the way that everything happened naturally and it's I didn't expect anything and I wasn't forcing anything. So and I think that's the best thing to <laughs> Without putting you on the spot, has it been a good experience working with us? Yeah, definitely. I was actually reflecting on it yesterday with my partner, just thinking about how much I've grown. I started very young, like, and I say very young, I'm still very young. <laughs> but you were super But I was, yeah. I was a year out of school. Yeah, you were, what, 18 or 19? 19, 19, yeah, yeah, and so to have this kind of experience so early on was the best thing I could have probably done at that age. Because I, I didn't go straight to uni, I, I, I worked, and the experience that I've got that my peers who went to uni and now have graduated haven't had is really kind of put me in a different position that they have to make up in another few years. And so I guess I'm very grateful for that. And, I yeah, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, it's, been, it's, a, it's a different kind of education yeah. doing, working in an in industry. I mean, I used to be a registered nurse back in the day and when, mm. I, when I was right on the tail end of the whole hospital trained nursing rather than the uni trained nursing mm. and so we were we were doing a lot more practical stuff with yeah. interspersed with the theory whereas course, the yeah. the other students who were coming to our hospital were theoretical getting to t getting to year three and hadn't done much practical stuff and yeah yeah and i think a, a balance of the two is really useful it's really good me. yeah yeah well thank you for everything you've done for us oh thank you and, i've um, enjoyed it thoroughly. we wish you all the best with everything that thank you, you. Do in the future thank you hopefully you invite me oh we will to for further sure. podcasts yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally so that's it from us for this podcast we'll see you again in a couple of weeks uh and hopefully by then we'll have a few more names that we can give you perhaps we'll even have I'm sorry, Hajj, maybe we'll have your replacement on the podcast. Yeah, no, I'm minutes. excited to see who sits in this seat. <laughs> and you're going to get to um, orientate them to how things work. Yes, oh. yeah, it'll be good fun. So thanks for listening, and as we always say on the Westwards podcast, happy creating. Thanks.